Girlfriends, episode number 173, Fighting the Temptation of Perfection with Colleen Carol Campbell. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance and joy in family living. This week, I am talking with one of my favorite authors. I am fangirling with Colleen Carol Campbell about her newest book. Can't wait to share the conversation with you. Hey, girlfriends, how are you? Thanks for showing up. Thanks for being a part of this episode of the Girlfriends podcast. We're going to be talking about perfectionism. And this is very appropriate because um, by the time this podcast airs, by the time you're listening to it, I'm going to be pretty darn close to the wedding date for my daughter who's getting married May 26th. That's going to come out about a week before that. So I want to ask you, first of all, to pause, say a prayer for our family, say a prayer for our daughter, Katery, and her fiance. Brian as they're preparing to be married. Um, So we've been praying for them all right along. And it's appropriate that we're talking about perfectionism because even now, as I'm pre-recording this and we're still a few weeks away from the big day, um, I'm fighting that battle myself with perfectionism with regard to how the event goes and wanting to control all the things. I think it's a very human temptation. And I think it's one that we as women uniquely struggle with. I think it's um, something that's kind of built into us that we kind of want that sense of control. And um, we want that level of perfection in the things that we do. And um, we can really struggle in just turning things over to God and being reasonable in our expectations of ourselves and other people and life events and that sort of thing. So for sure, um, I'm, I'm grateful to be reminded of that as I'm putting together this podcast now a little bit ahead of time as we are preparing for that big day. May 26th. So please do keep my daughter, Katery, and her fiance, Brian, in your prayers as we are preparing for that special day um, coming soon. But I'm glad and excited to be sharing this conversation with author Colleen Carroll Campbell. And um, you'll hear a little bit more about her bio and her background in um, the opening to our interview conversation. But I just wanted to share with you that since I talked with her, I was inspired to go back and reread um, her first book, which was My Sisters the Saints, which is a beautiful kind of spiritual memoir of her as a young adult and kind of figuring out her faith life and the saints who became kind of special companions to her, with her on that journey toward growing closer to God in a time when she had kind of drifted a little bit from him and left her faith of her childhood and was kind of rediscovering it, making it her own as a young adult. So really a beautiful book. And I was just so, um, it had been a few years since I had read that one. So talking with her, I was like, I'm going to go back and I'm going to I'm gonna read, read that one. And I'm so glad that I did because it reminded me of so many great and powerful truths. And it reminded me of the importance of the communion of saints and what a role the saints can play in our own spiritual lives in very real and practical ways. Um, We can count on our friends in heaven to support us and to guide us, and they've gone before us and we can learn from their writings, but we can also learn inside of prayer and growing in friendship, true friendship with people that we never met 
when they walked the earth that maybe lived hundreds of years before we did. Um, I think that's such a beautiful part of being Catholic, that we have access to the communion of saints in that way. And that for me, it's a very, uh, her book, My Sisters the Saints, was a very powerful reminder of the importance of the communion of saints. And the saints that she shares about happen to be ones that I also favor. I, I think they're ones that are, um, that, you know, they're strong saint figures for many women. Um, so, but when you read it, you might not be inspired by those same saints, but it is still inspiring to go and find the saints who have that kind of connection for you, who can have that kind of bring that kind of meaning and growth to your own spiritual life. So anyway, that isn't the book we talk about here. Um, the book that we're talking about is her new book, The Heart of Perfection, How the Saints Taught Me to Trade My Dream of Perfect for Gods, which is going to be newly released right when this podcast airs. It's going to be uh, hot off the presses and you'll be able to order your copy of um, The Heart of Perfection by Colleen Carroll Campbell. But I don't want to miss letting you know about that previous book in case you haven't had a chance to read it or hadn't heard of it before, My Sisters the Saints, which came out a few years ago. So anyway, just wanted to jump in and uh, give you that little pointer at the beginning of this conversation. But now I want to share my recent talk with Colleen Carroll Campbell. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Girlfriends. I am excited. I am fangirling today because we have a special guest here on the Girlfriends podcast. Colleen Carol Campbell is joining me. Colleen Carol Campbell is an award-winning author, print and broadcast journalist, and former presidential speechwriter. Her books include her critically acclaimed journalistic study, The New Faithful, and spiritual memoir, My Sisters, the Saints, which won two national awards and has been published in five languages. A lifelong overachiever juggling a demanding career with marriage, parenting, and homeschooling for young children, Colleen's newest book is The Heart of Perfection, How the Saints Taught Me to Trade My Dream of Perfect for Gods, in which she tells how she broke the toxic cycle of perfectionism with the help of some surprising spiritual guides. This is an amazing book. Colleen, I'm so excited to talk to you about this. Thanks for coming on. No, thanks so much for having me, Danielle. Well, okay. So I truly am fangirling. We were talking before we went <laughs> on here about how you, you and I chatted when I came on your show on EWTN, like yeah. my first EWTN experience in New York over 10 years ago. It, it must be closer to 12. Yeah, that's right. Because you had a how newborn. Fun. Yes, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, but how fun to reconnect with you and then be able to reconnect with you about this book, especially dealing with perfectionism. Now, there are a bunch of books out about perfectionism, but what inspired you to take this particular approach to the topic of perfectionism, which is really a hot topic among women? It is a hot topic, and it's one that I've struggled with. I, partly, it was uh, that I was looking for a book that I couldn't find, and they always <laughs> say that's a good hint as it to is. what you should write. So I wrote The Heart of Perfection in part uh, for myself. It was something I needed to research. It was something I needed to learn about. So yeah. um, one thing I was seeing is a lot of talk about perfectionism, but the answers, at least that our culture were, was offering, uh, the answer that our culture was offering wasn't very satisfying to me. It seemed to be always, uh, you're good enough the way you are. Everything's fine. 
you know, just get over it. Don't strive so hard. And if you're truly a perfectionist, you can't just turn it on and off like that. Yes. And if you're a serious Christian, you don't want to settle for good enough in life. You want to become a saint, right? You want to become holy. So I was struggling to reconcile this sense that to be healthy and happy and a, and a kind and gentle mother and all the rest of it, I had to let go of this longing for excellence. Um, when my faith at the same time told me that I needed to strive or at least, um, long to be a saint. And so what really um, kind of flipped the switch for me, I guess, and got me writing The Heart of Perfection is when I tiptoed back to the saints, the saints who I've been basically avoiding since I became a mother <laughs> because I was worried that they were making my perfectionism worse right? because it seemed like that, you know, they're such astounding role models that in some ways I thought of them as encouraging my perfectionism or at least my spiritual perfectionism. And when I tiptoed back into their stories and with new eyes began reading, I, I discovered that so many of these saints who I thought were encouraging my perfectionism were themselves recovering perfectionists. And it was only after they got beyond their own ideas of perfect and embraced God's that they began to bear that great fruit and grow in those heroic virtues that we hear all about. Right. But a lot of times we don't hear about their struggle with perfectionism because they didn't use the word or because sometimes stories of them gloss over these struggles because they're trying to goad us to strive harder. So um, the saints can seem like dangerous territory for a perfectionist, <laughs> but I discovered really liberating truths in their stories and a different type of liberating truth, even that I found when uh, writing My Sisters the Saints, which was also about the saints, but I hadn't yet grappled with my perfectionism problem. Right, right. Oh, I love that. And I love that take on perfect, like God's definition of perfect, right, for you as opposed to our own. Because isn't that the struggle? Like, because we bring our own definitions, we bring our own goals, our own, like, this is what I'm meant to be, right? And without pausing to sit in God's presence and listen to what he's telling us we're called to be. That's exactly right. And I saw that over and over with these saints, these recovering perfectionist saints. There's seven of them that I write about in the heart of perfection where I tell their stories. There's also one heretic and she's a lot of fun to write about. She's an unrecovered perfectionist and sort of a cautionary tale for us. I like that. Uh, <laughs> But that's what I heard over and over again, is to be careful when setting our own spiritual agenda, following our own spiritual ambitions, a ticking off the list of our own spiritual pet peeves, because very often what bothers us most about ourselves is not what God's most concerned with. Sometimes that's a flaw he's letting us hold on to because it keeps us humble. Uh -huh. And a lot of times what we're not focusing on in our, in our fixation on, oh, I can't I get this one part of my life better is the elephant in the room, which is the real problem, you know, and it might be a problem with trust or pride or what have you. Mm -hmm. And so that's where, you know, just as in prayer, just as prayer needs to guide everything we do, especially needs to guide us in our spiritual growth, because if we're setting the agenda, we're probably not setting it in the right direction, right? Because God tells us in Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. He's, he's infinitely higher. You see things, he sees things from an entirely different perspective. So if we're not plugging into the Holy Spirit every day, if we're not opening God's word, if we're not receiving the sacraments and we're just setting our own agenda, we're going to direct it the wrong way. And more than likely, we're going to direct it the world's way to the world's definition of perfect. And it's, it's a far cry from God's. 
So, so well put. I think that's so important for us to keep in mind. And the fact that the saints can help us to do that in a realistic way is such a wonderful gift inside of this book, these stories that you share. Maybe, Colleen, you can just share for listeners maybe one story from one of the saints that especially inspired you. Well, I really like Jane de Chantal. She oh, she's a favorite of mine, too. Oh, she's good, you know? And I didn't, you know, I remember hearing about her years ago. Uh, and I visited a visitation convent. The nuns were very sweet, asked about their Saint Jane de Chantal. Well, she's the patron saint of gentleness. And I thought, oh, too bad they couldn't come up with something a little better than that, right? <laughs> I mean, that's all I thought, honestly. Gentleness seemed to me, you know, meekness, mildness, be a nice girl, you know, show yeah. up on time, get the perfect attendance prize at school. Nothing to brag about, right? <laughs> well, and when I became a mother, uh, along with many other things, I was humbled to discover that gentleness is actually a very tough virtue to practice, and it mm-hmm. didn't come naturally to me. What surprised me was to learn that Jane de Chantal, who was a mother of uh, four, she was also a single mom at a very young age. She had a newborn when her husband died in a hunting accident, and she, yes, later became a nun. She founded the Visitation Order with her good friend Francis de Sales, but for many years, she was struggling as a single mom in the world. She was also managing this estate, so she was working in a sense, and Uh, Obviously, we know all moms work, whether they're at home or outside the home. So she was a busy woman. And she was a striver. This patron saint of gentleness, I was surprised to discover, was hardcore. She uh, would ride nine miles each way to Mass every day. She branded the name of Jesus on her chest at one point to scare away suitors. So she was intense. (laughs) That would scare them away. (laughs) (laughs) But she was driving herself to exhaustion with this punishing prayer regimen and then trying to take care of the kids and trying to hang on to her faith. Doubts were more and more crowding her faith. It was becoming a slog, and she was hanging on by a thread. By the time she met Francis de Sales, who himself was a recovered perfectionist, and that's a different story, which is interesting. But the two of them prodded each other onto holiness, and where Francis really made a difference for James in explaining to her that, as he puts it once, be patient with everyone, but above all with yourself and this hardness that you're struggling with toward your kids, toward your in-laws, toward your employees, that hardness is coming from your hardness on yourself, which you think God is looking at you that way. And when you really internalize the way God is really looking at you with his gentleness and his unconditional love, you're able to show that to yourself and then you're able to show it to others. And then you're actually free to push yourself and will not push yourself. I would say receive the gift of holiness. So it's not that she slacked off. In fact, she started doing things she'd never done before. Instead of starving herself for these major penances, she started letting a servant pick out which food she'd eat. So this picky eater, instead (laughs) of going on some crash diet, she just... She just once in a while, you know, would abstain from something she really wanted. And he taught her, Francis de Sales taught Jane de Chantal, that the best sacrifices we make aren't the ones we pick, but the ones that choose us. And so it's a lot about um, embracing these smaller virtues like gentleness and patience and seeing how that didn't change her into a mousy, boring, you know, do nothing Right. Mm -hmm. She still went on to do amazing things and she still had that spunk and that quick wit and she was still (laughs) tough. Right. But she was now oriented toward God's idea of perfection. And that's so much what I talk about in the heart of perfection, because it's what I discovered in the stories of the saints is that this did not 
change their personalities and take away everything that was interesting about them. They still remained who they were to the day they died, but they remained more themselves because they started following a different path to true perfection, gospel perfection. I love that. I love that. It's so important for every, every one of us to hear that reminder about what God's idea is of perfection. And, you know, what, what came to mind as you were describing that and um, St. Jane de Chantel's struggles with that is the idea that we are called to be receptive to God's will. Like that feminine gift of receptivity, I find, is often the antidote to pride, which is ultimately, I think, what's driving us when we struggle with perfection and our own agendas. And like, I come to my prayer time and I'm like, here, God, I'm asking for these good things and I've decided exactly what they are. And you just need to check off the boxes as you give me the stuff, right? Um, so wrong, so wrong to approach God in that way where we're telling him what to do, right? Or, and and you, like you mentioned with St. Jane um, Francis de Chantal is that she was deciding her own spiritual growth, right? Mm-hmm. And rather than turning to God, like, how would you have me grow spiritually? And what I find many women struggle with, and I know myself included, and, and I know you, from your experiences you share in the book that you share this as well, like, it's the idea of, like, feeling like we have to earn God's love in some way. Mm-hmm. Like, it's us. We're going to do it, right? I mean, it, can you share a little bit about that? Yes. And I, this is a tricky one, because if you had asked me, you know, 10 years ago, do you think you have to earn God's love? Well, of course not. You know, and we all know the right answer to that, right? Mm -hmm. It's grace. And sometimes Catholics are accused of not understanding this, but no, 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 we understand it. Well, Catholic, Protestant, any kind of Christian, you still struggle with this. And I think this is part of the fall. And it's part of just being raised in a fallen world. I mean, you can have parents who tell you they love you till the cows come home, but somewhere along the way, you start to pick up these messages that I love you, but be a good girl, smile pretty, you know, don't, don't say that, don't feel that. Let's not be like that. Oops, that mistake, that puts you a little outside. And this is not about blaming our parents. It's not about blaming our religious education. It's about the state of life in this world. And we're all all coming with this. I mean, I, I maybe there's somebody out there who hasn't struggled with this, but I have yet to meet them mm-hmm. if they're honest. Again, we all know intellectually what we're supposed to believe as good Christians, right. but are we living like that? Are we living like we really believe God is that father in the prodigal son story, and he is just running to us with his mercy and love. And every time we fall, even in those little ways that drive us and others around us crazy, are we, are we really stopping in that instant saying, I'm sorry, but then receiving that love? Because if we notice that we're, we're not able to do that, that's where a lot of the harshness will come then toward others, toward our lives. That's where a lot of the drivenness will come. It's from not, and this is not about saying, I didn't sin, I don't make mistakes. That's the world's idea of getting over perfection. Right. I mean, it's cheap grace. We don't go for cheap grace. This is the real deal where we say, yep, I did it again for the fourth time today. And Jesus, I'm asking. <laughs> again for your grace. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to receive that grace, not only for me, because my children are watching me, my loved ones are watching me, and they're seeing whether all my talk about grace is just talk or whether I receive it for myself and I live it myself. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. And I I love that you mentioned, you know, inside of motherhood, this is something that, you know, is a major theme in your book, because like you mentioned, you didn't really struggle with this or know that you struggled with it until you became a mom. Maybe um, I share a little bit about the, the story that you share in the book about um, early in your motherhood, how you, you found yourself sharing, you know, kind of surprisingly, some emotionalism with friends when you were feeling under stress inside of your motherhood and someone's response that there's no room for perfectionism in motherhood. What, what exactly do you mean by that? 
Well, yes, I had just become a mother. And as I wrote about in My Sisters, the Saints, I, I struggled for years to become a mother. So this was a great dream come true. And I had these two beautiful new babies. And, you know, if you've ever been through life with newborn preemie twins, you know, there was a, <laughs> another twin parent who called it, you know, he was in the military. He said, it's kind of like a war, except I got more sleep during the war. So, you know, it, it's intense. And, and yet, if you've ever struggled with infertility, you come to motherhood with that much more of an expectation of yourself and the whole experience experience, you know, oh, this is the holy grail. And, you know, you know, it's not going to be perfect, but somewhere down to you're hoping you're going to do everything perfectly. So I was just a few weeks in exhausted, you know, and and when friends asked me how it was going, I was trying to make a joke. And next thing I knew I was crying. And, (laughs) and this friend did say, you know, there's no room for perfectionism in motherhood. And I thought perfectionism, wait, wait, what is that something I need to be thinking about? And it just kind of dawned on me in that moment. Oh, is that one of my problems? And I had always known with work, I was hard driving. I was an overachiever. I knew I had some perfectionist tendencies, but frankly, I thought they helped me, mm-hmm. uh, at least in that setting. And so this was maybe the first time that I realized, oh, this could be a problem and not just for me, but for my children. And that's really what began this search for answers from my faith about perfectionism was the sense that this runs in families. All the studies show it, right? right? That perfectionism runs in families. So if we don't deal with this, all we're doing is kicking the can down the road. We're going to suffer. And even more, our children are going to grow up with these ideas and they're going to suffer. We're not going to get it all fixed up so they don't have any problems. Mm-hmm. But the more we face our perfectionism, talk about it, and then incorporate part practices into our lives as parents, like talking openly about the fact that we've made mistakes. And I don't mean, you know, soul crushing confessions that a kid doesn't need to hear. I mean, just saying, Hey, you know, oops, mommy messed that one up. I'm sorry. You know, to start to set that example early is to break this generational cycle of perfectionism. Oh, that's, that's great. And I love that you mentioned that it mentioned that it runs in families, right? That this is something that your kids are going to potentially inherit from you. Um, and you you shared a story um, about your grandma in the book. Uh, maybe share a little bit about that and what kind of revelation that was for you about what perfectionism costs us. Right. And I love my grandma, God rest her soul. And she was a wonderful woman. She was a dynamo. I mean, she made the age of the super mom look like amateur hour. <laughs> she had 12 children. She walked a mile back and forth to daily mass every day. She got her kids to mass actually twice a day because they went one in, once in their Catholic school, but she thought it was important they go as a family too. So she'd get them up early and they'd oh all gosh. go together and then they'd go again in school. Uh, this is the, this was in the, you know, fifties and she, you know, high heels, the hat, the matching dress, the dazzling smile. She was president of every arts and civic organization that I was aware of in her hometown. And she was an amazing woman. She was funny and a character and a deep faith. And I loved her very much. At the same time, I did see close up that there's a cost that comes to doing all those things. Mm-hmm. She, she was very hard on herself. And as a result, you know, you'd go in her kitchen, you'd try to cook with her, but you were always doing it wrong. Yeah. You know, she'd cry over the turkey that burned. And, you know, there was often a lot of stress. And I also saw that um, the faith was not as appealing to many in the family because for them, it was associated with living up to all these standards that they couldn't live up to. Now, I don't blame her for that. There were a lot of different sure. things going on, especially in the cultural period of the 60s. 
But for me, whenever I hear people talking about, oh, it was so great when all the moms did this. Oh, it was so great when everything looks so wonderful on the outside like this. I always think, okay, well, I know a family like that. And I know not everybody saw the faith as liberating and beautiful as a result. Some of them saw it as all just a bunch of rules and a lot of show. And that wasn't because her faith was insincere. But I do think that spiritual perfectionism afflicted her and, and was hard on her and made made a difficult journey harder. And none of that is to take away the beautiful things she did or the, you know, the, the, the life that she right. lived, but it did teach me that, wow, I got this in me. I got it. I got <laughs> it going back generations. And as I'm baking my own bread and I'm homeschooling my kids and I'm trying to write books on the side, boy, I can definitely go down this road and it's easy to judge someone else, but I might be walking in the exact same steps and I got to be careful. And I've got to really turn every day to God and say, you know, give me your grace and show me where I need to pull back. Show me what I can let go of because I can't do it all. I certainly couldn't do what she did. And I'm not sure she could do what she did. I think sometimes we just have to be willing to say, Yes, there are some things I can settle for good enough on so that I can settle, go for the best when it comes to the things that matter most to God. Right. Oh, great point. Great point. And I, I love hearing about your grandma and I love hearing the realism behind that facade, right? Not that your grandma was necessarily being fake or anything like that, but she right. was motivated um, for, you know, putting on that kind of exterior, right? And I think so many of us are. I mean, I can totally relate to your grandma and, and right. I can relate to your struggles as well that you share in the book um, with regard to those things. And I think um, maybe you could speak a little bit about the, the unique challenges in today's world, especially with social media. Like, talk about trying to put on a good exterior. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like I see some of these blogs and, and Instagram accounts and I am overwhelmed and I am not judging anybody in particular because, you know, I don't know what's going on in their life, but holy cow, how do you do that? And how do you make it come out like that and photograph it with the light just so? And I mean, it's really challenging, isn't it? Oh, I mean, I think social media is a huge factor in all of this. You know, we used to just have to compete with the gal down the street and our sister and our mom or our friends mm -hmm. or whatever. I mean, now we are competing with people around the world and they're always doing it better than us because remember, and you, Danielle, actually said this on my Faith and Culture show years ago before I became a mom and this always stuck in my head. So thank you. You said, don't compare your insides with their outsides. Don't compare what's going on in the reality of your life with what you're seeing on the outside of theirs. Right. And, and so much of social media is about doing that. It's about setting forth this beautiful uh, persona. And hey, you know, I, I, I'm not on social media much because I, I frankly, I just don't have time. And I, you know, more power to those who can, who can do a lot of it. I, I just, I just can't with the kids right. and everything. So I'm, you know, I'm out there as, as, as much as I feel is appropriate, but um, so I'm not, again, not putting down anyone, but you know, even me, you know, I don't put on my website, the picture where my kids are making a funny face and my hair sticking up and I little, you know, I look a little sure. weird in that. I mean, why would I do that? Mm -hmm. Right. So does that mean whatever pictures on my website, that's what you're going to find me looking like when I'm running into the grocery store tonight? Like, no, <laughs> right. So we have to keep that in mind. I do think they've had studies that show our depression rates, our anxiety rates, rates of envy and jealousy, they all skyrocket when we spend too much time on social media. Mm -hmm. So I do think some of these things, and I talk about this in the third chapter of The Heart of Perfection, about stalking joy. That's a phrase from Flannery, 
Flannery O'Connor, mm-hmm. and how we need to be very careful to cultivate spiritual joy in our lives. I'm not talking about a good time, and you know that, that's fine. Sometimes you can have one, sometimes you can't. I mean, deep down spiritual joy, Jesus mm-hmm. joy. And there are some things that we know if we spend too much time on them, we will lose our joy. And I think social media is one of them where we need to be careful. And when we feel ourselves getting sucked down that rabbit hole and comparing and competing, which is very much what it's oriented toward, right? We need to turn it off and go look at a real human being. Go talk to the real human <laughs> beings in our house who probably would like our attention more than our computer needs our attention. So right. um, as much as social media can be a force for good, it can also definitely make our perfectionism rate skyrocket. And I think it's no coincidence that millennials have been shown to be the most perfectionist generation on record. And they're also the generation raised with this constant comparison of social media. Right. Oh, that's a great point. And those of us who are raising millennials, <laughs> I'm dealing with it all the time. But I'm also kind of trying to remember to take my own advice when I'm telling my kids, like, who are you, who are you communicating with on your phone right now and ignoring all these people in the room, right? These people who are really present to you. And what's that costing you? Like, what's, what's the value of that relationship, which is probably like, LOL to somebody's Snapchat or whatever, (laughs) to, you know, these real life people who are standing in the room and wanting your attention. So we all do need that reminder, that in the flesh reminder. Um, And, and no one more so that I think than a mom, like that right. we get, we get centered. Like sometimes like I just need to go and like fold a load of laundry. Like, you know, I'm like, I just need to physically use my body yes. to physically serve my family here in this house, right. off a device, not talking to anybody, but yeah. who's here. And um, I think that ultimately that's what I feel like your book really inspires is that getting back to the basics and that it's going to look different for every one of us, right? I mean, the, these saints right. that you, you share their stories are so varied, and there's a lot to be inspired by inside of that variety in the way that they answer God's call. But that's because they all, however they ended up getting there, opened themselves up to hearing God's unique call. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Benedict of Nursia is one I talk about in the heart of perfection and he's helpful here. He's his whole uh, rule of St. Benedict. You know, I, I think moms could use that rule more often. It's a, it's a really a model of biblical balance in our lives. And a lot of it is about putting down what we're into, whether it's the computer, the phone, whatever, or whatever work and stopping when it's time to stop mm-hmm. and going back to be present with our families or with our loved ones Uh, staying on routine, you know, well, it's time to pray now. I already said I was going to pray at this time. I know I'd like to spend 20 more minutes doing this, but it's time to pray or it's time to eat Mm -hmm. and I got to eat. And that's what we got to do, you know, and sometimes motherhood can be very helpful that way because your kids are not going to wait until you're in the mood to eat lunch or to get hungry or to need you to kiss the Mm boo-boo, right? So that can be helpful, but you're right. We, we have these phones with us all the time and we can zone out and be there physically and not really truly be present. So that sense of being grounded in the real is something we find a lot in St. Benedict's rule. And it's interesting because I always thought Benedict in balance, that that must be the work of somebody who was a very balanced guy. But if you read about Benedict's life, he was a hardcore striver. I mean, he lived, he lived alone in a cave for quite a while. He was, he was known for being very intense. In fact, his first attempt to lead some monks as an abbot kind of ended in disaster and partly because he was so intense and so sort of exacting his standards. Mm -hmm. So he who in a sense had this perfectionist streak that he had to moderate and recognize the value of simply accepting our limits as human beings. There's only so many hours in the day. We only have so much energy. There's only so many things we can do for God. 
And that's why we need to check in with Jesus every day and ask him, what are your top priorities for me today? And help me let the rest go, even if it's the stuff that would make me look better in the eyes of others. Right. Oh, I love that. That's a great point. Because, you know, one thing that came to mind as I was reading through your book, especially knowing you as a professional and a working mom, I mean, some people, honestly, Colleen, are going to read your bio and be like, oh, of course, she can write the book about balancing perfectionism because she's already done it all, right? <laughs> but because you've had this amazing career in media and um, these these successful books and this and professional background, which is just top notch, and then balancing that with your motherhood. On whatever level, um, every every mom, I think, is struggling to balance her home life with outside life, outside demands. And we women have so many gifts and we're meant to bless others in the church and the world at large with these gifts, even even if we're still raising young children sometimes. Maybe you could speak a little bit about that to the the balance, right? Everybody talks about the work-life balance. Like, what is your take on that, especially for a Catholic woman in particular? Well, here again is where uh, St. Benedict and his recovering perfectionist strategies helped me a lot. Um, I had always pictured balance as something, again, a little bit like gentleness, something you settle for if you don't really have that drive inside you to do something really well. I mean, I know that sounds bad, but that's how I had seen balance for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I started to discover as a mother, oh, maybe this is kind of important, something I need to work on. But um, I, I like that there's, there's uh, Esther Duvall is an Anglican author, and she wrote about Benedict's rule. She had a quote that really helped me at one point. And she said that it's not about mediocrity. Balance is not about mediocrity. Benedictine balance, Christian balance, biblical balance, is about the tension of, of, of competing, competing interests and competing pursuits, all of which we want to pursue with excellence. Mm-hmm. It's just about keeping them in, and there is going to always be some tension, right? I'm always going to be a mother, but I'm always going to also want to be a writer. I'm always going to be a wife, but I'm also still a daughter to an aging parent who needs me. All of these things are somewhat in tension, and we do have to lean on Jesus, and that is part of the whole thing. I think that we have to be careful of this idea that we can have it all, mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about where you're working, how many hours you're working, are you working inside the house, outside the house, not at all. I'm, I'm I have no interest in that debate because, frankly, I, I just think God has so many different ideas of what works for each woman, and I don't want anyone yeah, <laughs> telling agree. me exactly how many hours I need to be doing <laughs> what, and I don't want to tell anyone else that, too. But the one thing I do think is important there is that it can be a perfectionist delusion to tell ourselves, I can have it all, I need to aim to have it all, or there's this vision of it all, mm-hmm. and I need to attain that. Because we almost get this scrupulosity about our happiness lately. I mean, there's almost this sense that if I am not perfectly happy and perfectly fulfilled, then I'm actually failing myself in some way, sort of failing womanhood or failing the world or, you know, no, this is not the place where we have it all. And I'm not talking about career only, family only. I'm just talking about this is not our final home. This is not the place where we get it all, where we get it all right, where it all looks perfect, where if I just worked a little harder or my husband watched the kids a few hours longer or I had a little better better boss or a little better job, I would have it all. It just, there's nobody who's got it all. Whether she's working all the time outside the house, never works outside the house, all is God's domain. All is what we're going to have in heaven. Here and now, we can have balance. And balance is going to look like letting some things go that we really wish we could do. I always joke, you know, I'm kind of a book nerd. And I always tell myself, in heaven, I'm going to get to read all the books I never got to read here. <laughs> and you will. Taking care of kids. Right? <laughs> Somebody else's idea of heaven is maybe a little more exciting than mine, right? right? But 
There is going to come a time when we can have all those desires fulfilled, Mm -hmm. but it's not here. So here we have to just go day by day. And the thing, the good thing about struggling for balance is that it forces us to lean on Jesus. If we had a perfect blueprint for balance, we wouldn't really need him. Mm -hmm. But because we don't know day to day how to do it, that's where we lean into his grace more. And that's exactly where he wants us. That's where we need to be. Oh, I love that. Because I I think it's so true that where we find ourselves failing, that's God's invitation, right? That's his invitation to lean on his grace, to count on grace. That's making room for grace in our lives. And such an important point about the fact that we don't have it all. We're not going to have it all here on earth. We're not supposed to have it all here on earth. That's not right. that's not the deal, right? And um, it, it has been my experience too that the idea of balance, like people say, oh, balance, like they picture like, oh, I'm going to achieve perfect balance in my home life and my work life and whatever else. And they think of it as like the static thing and you're just going to be bliss, right? In the center of it all. But <laughs> it's not a static thing. It's balance, like think about like right. balancing on a ball, right? You're moving, yeah. nonstop movement, <laughs> right? That's that's what right. you're doing. You're finding your equilibrium and sometimes you're focused over here and sometimes it's over here. And, you know, I think that the struggle for most women, for human beings in general, but for women in particular, especially in today's world where so many of us are, are working and doing other kinds of things is just have finding the place where you can be at peace with that, that I'm, I'm giving in this direction. That means I'm not giving in that direction right now. And it's okay. That's right. And that, that is, it's constantly changing. And that constant change, I think is exactly what keeps us leaning on Jesus. Right. Because it's, it's uncomfortable, right? We want that. (laughs) We want the bliss. (laughs) Right. We want the stillness and the, you know, that like we've got it all together and here it is finally, you know, I, I'm reminded of times when like, I'm like companies coming and I'll get the house ready and get the kids ready. Everybody's dressed, everybody's clean, everything's ready. And then I'm like, we're sitting and waiting for the people to arrive. And I'm like, nobody move, right? Nobody, nobody breathe, right? Like, that's how we want our lives to be, right? That, that picture-perfect moment, nothing changes. And yet, we know that's not reality. And that's why we need Jesus. That's right. That's exactly yeah. right. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so... Where can people go to find out more about this book? It is releasing, um, the, the day this podcast is out, it's going to be released. So um, tell people where they can find this book, Colleen. So The Heart of Perfection, you can find it on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, almost all of your local Catholic bookstores. And you can also go to my website, Colleen-Campbell.com for more on The Heart of Perfection. So the book, again, is The Heart of Perfection, How the Saints Taught Me to Trade My Dream of Perfect for Gods from Howard Books, Simon & Schuster. My guest today has been Colleen Carroll Campbell, such a heroine in Catholic culture. I am fangirling today, and I'm so honored and thrilled that you took the time to join us on Girlfriends. Thanks for coming on, Colleen. Oh, thank you so much, Danielle. That means a lot coming from you. I hope you're now inspired to go and uh, check out Colleen Carroll Campbell's newest book, The Heart of Perfection, but also My Sisters, the Saints. You don't want to miss out on that. Okay, before we have to go here, I just wanted to um, share with you some places that I'm going to be in case we can make a real life connection. You know, I love to connect with podcast listeners in real life. So if I'm coming anywhere near you, here are some places that I'm going to be. 
On Saturday, June 1st, I'm going to be giving my Your Worth It retreat at St. Michael Parish in Exeter, New Hampshire, right here in my home state of New Hampshire. Looking forward to that. So that's going to be my Your Worth It retreat, which is um, based on my book, Your Worth It, which looks at women in the New Testament and what we can learn about God's unique love for women based on those stories of women in the New Testament who lived with and talked with and were healed by and touched by Jesus himself. So really inspiring stories. That was what inspired me to write the book. And I put together that retreat based on the themes of the book. So that's on Saturday, June 1st at St. Michael Parish in Exeter, New Hampshire. Then June 18th through the 21st, I'm going to be at the Catholic Media Conference, which is taking place in St. Petersburg, Florida. Great, great opportunity to meet with lots of different people working inside of Catholic media there. I'm looking forward to sharing um, all that I'm going to be doing there and the people that I'm meeting there on social media during that that time period. Um, But if you're going to be attending, do let me know or look me up when you're there. Um, Also, Saturday, June 29th, I'm going to be in Portsmouth, Ohio uh, at a Catholic family conference, which is actually multiple parishes coming together for that. So I'm looking forward to that day. That's not going to be a retreat. It's going to be for families. Um, husbands, wives, married couples, kids, all ages. Um, So I'm going to be giving um, a talk and a workshop there. So I'm looking forward to that. The Catholic Family Conference in Portsmouth, Ohio on June 29th. Then July 30th through August 2nd, I'm going to be at the Catholic Marketing Network Conference, which takes place every year in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Also part of that event is the Catholic Writers Guild, which kind of um, piggybacks on top of that event every year. So if you're going to be taking part in the Catholic Writers Guild, come and say hi to me. I'll be with Holy Cross Family Ministries. We're going to have a booth for Catholic Mom there. We'll probably be giving away some pretty cool stuff. Um, A Catholic Mom at the LA Congress this year, we gave away lip balm, a cute little lip balm tin that says bomb for the mom. I'm hoping we're going to have some of that left by July 30th through August 2nd to be giving some out there at the Catholic Marketing Network. But if I'm not coming anywhere near you and you want information about how to make that happen, if you are um, part of a conference, part of a planning committee at your parish, or if you just want to find out more about inviting me to come speak at your parish or your community with your women's group, you can go to daniellebean.com and click on the speaking tab to get information about having me come speak. Or if you're interested in one of the retreats, my You're Worth It retreat or my You Are Enough retreat based on themes in my newest book from Ascension Press, which is You Are Enough, What Women of the Bible teach you about your mission and worth. That book takes a look at women in the Old Testament. So um, what we can learn from stories of women in the Old Testament, those ancient tales, those sometimes crazy stories. And um, but I was really, I was really surprised and encouraged when I was writing that book and when I was putting together the retreat um, to discover just how much meaning those women's lives from so long ago can have still for us today. Our stories are the same. So many of our struggles are the same. Yeah, there's some crazy stuff in the Old Testament of the Bible, but truly is inspiring the ways in which women throughout all of time, God has had this love for women and women have had these unique gifts and strengths that we all have in common. And so finding that inside the pages of the Old Testament and the Bible is really an inspiring thing to do together with other women. And that's what we do at those retreats. Anyway, if you're interested in having me come and put on one of my retreats at your parish. You can get more information about that at daniellebean.com. Just click that retreats tab.
And that's all the time we have for today. But I want to thank Colleen Carol Campbell for being part of today's show. And I want to thank you for being part of today's show. It really is meaningful to me. It's truly encouraging and inspiring to know that you are listening, that you just put your earbuds in or you turn on your phone in your car or while you're doing dishes or folding laundry or going for a run or whatever it is you're doing, that you welcome me into your life. I love that we are able to make that kind of connection through the Girlfriends podcast right here. So Thank you for doing that. Thank you for inviting me in. Thank you for being here. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. 